There is no more terrible instant of enlightenment than the one in which you discover your father is a man with human flesh. From Collected Sayings of the Muhadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we're going to read them Dune. Yeah, we are. Yes, we are. Awesome. So, this week, chapter 14, we had a relatively small chapter this week. Uh, I just want to note something real fast. I'm reading on my um, Kindle. Here, I, you can't relate the glare. It's pretty bad. Um, and on Kindle, it shows you which um, where things are highlighted the most, which is kind of a nice feature when you're reading books because you get to see what other people um, like and what the most popular phrases are. Cool. This phrase by the Collected Sayings of Muhadib in the starts this chapter has 4,000 highlights. Whoa! So uh, yeah, this this open quote, a lot of people resonated with it. Right, because it's good juice. It's real spicy. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, there there is a certain moment of growing up, right, when you realize that your parents are actually just human beings mm-hmm. trying to make it in the world, who don't know everything, and are doing just the best they can, and it is a sort of a a terrible feeling. Yeah, it's super crazy. And yeah, I think like it can it can even come in waves, you know, like the one day where your your dad can't quite pick you up and like spin you around anymore when you're like kind of a little kid age and it's like, oh god. You're like, oh, you're fallible? Like you're you're weak? You have weakness? You know? But yeah. it gets even heavier when you're like a teenager. So like Paul in this chapter, like his, his age of being like, and imagine being as smart as Paul is being like, right. Oh shoot. Like you were, you were a man and a rather fa- fallible one, like one that can fail, you know? And anyway, that's all in the chapter. We're going to talk about the chapter, Caleb. So I mean, that's what, we're here. That's what, that, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Right. <laughs> all right. So a little context to where we are, what happened last chapter. You want to fill us in about what happened, where the, what, what we learned? Um, um, I'm trying to remember now. I was not ready to talk about last chapter. I was not ready to talk about this chapter, Caleb. Um, <laughs> yes, I understand that. Duke, Leto, and Paul are in the, uh, the, the like, military airport type situation, whatever it's called, right? Yeah, I think I think they're still in the room where they had the all staff meeting. Right. So they're in a conference room and all this stuff is going down and Lido's been making plans to like not just be on the defensive, to be on the offensive. And um Paul is just kind of observing everything and he has some some intelligence that he's given his dad and he's sort of learning the ropes of like, okay, who do you tell what to, who needs to know this, who needs to know that like plans within plans and all that. 
Oh, always plans within plans. So in the last chapter, he Lido talks to Howitt, and Howitt gives him the the film strip and his micro USB or whatever he gives him yeah. um, of like the religious intelligence that Howitt had gathered on the Fremen. Yeah. Because on the first day, as probably the Duke and his family were getting a tour of the city. Mm-hmm. which would be something very normal they would do. Where are they living? Um, the Fremen in the, in the street kept shouting. Bobby, Bobby. Yeah. Um, and so he wants to know what that means. And so right. we kind of pick up right into that. So I'm assuming. There's also the note, right? The like scrap of a note that they found. Right. So now how it thinks it's the lady, Jessica, who is the traitor, but. Paul and Lito know that Lady Jessica has also been has in, intel that there's a traitor among them. Right. So, and they 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 know it's not her. We know who it is as as readers. Who is a traitor? It's Yui. <laughs> oh, by the way, dude, I've spent like the past week trying to put some kind of melody to the children's song about Yui and it just doesn't work. I don't know if Frank had like a tune to that little poem that he wrote, but as a like person who writes music, like almost professionally, it's really hard to put a tune to that little (laughs) Yui, Yui, Yui. Yui, 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 thousand deaths aren't enough for Yui. Like that doesn't work with anything, you know, couldn't he make it like twinkle, twinkle, little star or something? No, yeah, he was a he was a journalist. He wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> anyway, Any, anyhow, all right. So let's dive into the chapter. So yeah. Duke, pretty much, I think, comes right after this conversation with Howitt, goes to Paul, and shows him the film strip because this is obviously intel he wants Paul to know because they're shouting it at him. So the Duke is is they're in the room, and he says, "Paul, I'm doing a hateful thing, but I must." He stood beside the portable poison snooper that had been brought into the conference room for breakfast. The thing's sensor arm hung limply over the table, reminding Paul of some weird insect knew we did. I just love just the poison snoopers. Yeah. It's just a snoop out poison. So I imagine, you know, as the coffee and donuts come in, it's just like, mm, these are bad. Nope, nope, okay, it's good. <laughs> like, how often does it snoop poison? You know, like. That's a great question. Like, how often do you have to pick poison out of your food? I mean, what is it, does it make a sound when it like identifies poison? Just like snoop, 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 snoop. <laughs> I want to picture the end of the arms just having little noses, like human noses on them. <laughs> that's way, that's way more Frank Herbert than you know. <laughs> I can't get into it because it's super spoilers for like books five and six, but that's very close. <laughs> um, and if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. All right. So, yes, Phil, Paul had the viewer in front of him containing the short film clip on the Fremen religious practices. The clip had been compiled, uh, compiled by one of Howitt's experts, and Paul found himself disturbed by the references to himself, Mahdi, and the Lizan al-Gaib. He could close his eyes and recall the shouts of the crowd. So what they, what is, so that is what they hope, he thought. He remembered what the old Reverend Mother had said, the Kisbrak Hatterack. The memories touch his feelings of terrible purpose. 
shading this strange world with sensations of familiarity that he could not yet understand. Every time terrible purpose comes up, something bad's about to happen. Like that. <laughs> I think I figured that much out. Or it's it's, it's alluding to something, right. and I don't know quite what that terrible purpose is. I have some ideas, um, because the Kizrock Hatterack is somebody. So the Bene Gesserit Reverend Mothers can see down the female memories of their mm -hmm. past ancestry, and the Kizrock Hatterack can look in the place they cannot. So also do the male ones. Right. And maybe this terrible purpose is like deep down in those memories is trying to pop up. Like he knows somehow. Yeah. So he's, all this is this Messiah rhetoric and he knows that there's something evil about it because he can't quite put his finger on it. So then the Duke interrupts his train of thought to talk what he wants to talk about because that's what dads do. Right. A hateful thing, the Duke said. What do you mean? That's what Paul... And so now Leto says, like, all right, the Harkonnens want to trick me into making me distrust Jessica. Yeah. But they don't know that I would rather... Like, there's nobody I trust more. Right. Like, it's impossible for him to distrust Jessica. Yeah. And so he's got to, and he goes on later to kind of like um, explain, because Paul says, well, you might as well mistrust me, right? Like for family, more than anything else, we're never going to give each other up. But the Duke says that he has to make Harkonnens believe that they have succeeded in having him mistrust Jessica. Oh, gosh. Which means that he can't tell her, like, everything that's happening. He just has to, like, he has to act like she's mad at him, which will make her mad at him. Right. Because she's, he's not telling the whole truth. Right. Which and I she feel does it. Like, she can figure out his crap, you know? like Right, like, who is he really going to fool? Right. And, and I think this is where we start to see part of Leto's like disintegration. Yeah. Almost. Like it, it, it's, it's unraveling and he's unraveling at this point, which I, I think that first quote kind of like emulates or like talks about. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, so of course, Paul's like, why would you do this? What's going on? And the Duke goes, your mother's response must not be an act. Oh, she's capable of supreme act, but too much rides on this. I hope to smoke out the traitor. So it's the idea of if we let them think they're winning, maybe they'll show which hand holds the knife. Right, right. They said it in the last chapter, like, depending on the action they take, the traitor might grow careless and, like, trip up and then we know who he is. Yeah. Or she is, but it's definitely a he. <laughs> <laughs> like there's definitely no setup and payoff here like like we know exactly there's no mystery we know exactly who it is right thanks a lot frank uh, but i guess that kind of builds the tension a little bit because we're just seeing them make a bunch of mistakes and saying yeah. please don't do that yep all right um well the duke says something 
really important right here. He says, you'll keep this a secret. You must. He walked to the windows and spoke without turning. This way, if anything should happen to me, you can tell her the truth, that I never doubted her, not for the smallest instant. I should want her to know this. Mm. Paul recognized the death thoughts in his father's words and spoke quickly. Nothing's going to happen to you. And the Duke goes, be silent. Right. So this is the beginning of, we're starting to see the, uh, the death thoughts, like his mortality, which harkens back to what, you know, the Reverend Mother said at the very beginning, like nothing for the father. Right. He's got no chance. And so we're starting to see like this, like the wheels are starting to come, come out from underneath the Duke himself. And I love how Paul's response here. It's a, uh, so as Paul stared at the, his father's back, seeing the fatigue and the angle of his neck and the line of the shoulders and the slow movements, that's the Benet Desert training, kicking in there, watching him. You're just tired, father. I am tired, the Duke agreed. I'm morally tired. The melancholy degradation of the great houses has afflicted me at last, perhaps, and we were such a strong people once. <laughs> Who talks like that? The melancholy degradation of the great houses. <laughs> Duke Leto Atreides talks like that, son. <laughs> I guess I guess you're right. Real. <laughs> so it's like, hey, yo, dad, you haven't slept in like three, four days. You're taking these anti-fatigue pills. You should probably just get some rest, please. Right. You'll think a little bit better here. Right. It's like those ads. Remember those old Snickers ads? Yeah. Where it's, uh, it's like you're not yourself when you're hungry, and yeah. it's like dude turns into friggin' Elton John or something. Is like, being real He's like Bel- Betty White, just like killing <laughs> people. You're not you when you're hungry. The Duke, you're not you when you're tired. Stop, stop being fallible. No, I will not take a nap. <laughs> I am regal. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuff to do. <laughs> So Paul spoke in, spoke in quick anger. Our house hasn't degenerated, hasn't it? The Duke turned and faced his son, revealing dark circles beneath his hard eyes, a cynical twist in, of the mouth. Yes, he needs to go to bed. He needs to just go to bed. Right. Then he starts, like, he loves Jessica so much that he starts to, like, think he made a wrong decision by not just marrying her straight out right. or just by, why not just leaving? He should have just left. Um, but he knew that by not marrying her, it allowed him to be open for advancement, blah, 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 feudal system. That's why we don't have it anymore. (laughs) Well, to some degree, I guess we still have it a little bit. Kind of. And, uh, yeah, you can start the, the Duke is just being super vulnerable at this time with Paul. And Paul was like, you lead well, you govern well, your men following you willingly. And I love this. The Duke says, the propaganda corps is at its finest. Right. Can't take a compliment, this Leto. Not at all. He's just like at his end, you know, like he doesn't believe in anything. He doesn't believe in himself. And he's just like trying to survive as long as possible. Like he's not trying to thrive in his life at all. He's just trying to like, all right, can I make it just like another day? Who cares about sleeping? Who cares about, like, you know, it's great. No, yeah. yeah. And so, like, there's that analogy 
we talked about earlier, like his father jumped in the ring with the bullfights. Right. But I think Lito's kind of seeing this is a fight he can't win. Right. Um, yeah. That, and that's when you can see your father like jump into a fight he can't win. It's noble and also very sad. Yeah. Because you want the best, but you just, yeah. Um, so then <laughs> there's an interesting thing. He talks about spice right here. Anytime I talk about spice, it's always a good time. Um, so yeah, the Duke's talking and then Paul goes, father, like, come on, pull your, pull your senses together. And the right. Duke, yes, I am tired. Hey, did you know that they're uh, using spice residue as raw material and already have our own factory to manu- manufacture film base? Like <laughs> side tangent. And Paul's like, what? What does this have to do with anything? What are you talking about? <laughs> he just keeps going on his rant. This is like, sorry, this is like a very relatable moment uh, for those of us fortunate enough to have like grown to adulthood with a father that's like involved in our lives. Mm-hmm. Like when they just start going going down the deep end one day and you're just kind of like, Dude, what are you saying? Like what is happening? Like no matter how like, how good of a dude your dad is like every once in a while, they'll just kind of like have a screw loop and they're like, I think, I think we're going to do it. And you're like, what do you thought you are going off the deep end? And I am not like, so that's pull yourself together here. What are we we doing? I was just like, dude, film base, go to sleep. Like, stop it. <laughs> like, your your mind is making connections that are, that are there, but not necessarily relevant at this time. You need right. to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, anyway, film base. Let's talk about right. film. Right, right. So he's like, yeah, we should, we can flood the streets with propaganda because you can make spice to make the film base. Um, but he also talks about, the Duke says that Arrakis has another advantage, that the spice is in everything you breathe it you eat it Mm -hmm. and almost everything you can find that in parts of certain natural immunity to some of the most common poisons to assassins so spice is great right um and it's in everything Mm. so you can't kill off large population with poison because it won't work because the spice is still there and because food is so hard to grow that it's like very guarded, like the whole production process is like very watched. So there's no way to like add poison to the to the food, right? Right. So that's where the Duke says that Arrakis makes you more ethical. Like you mm-hmm. can't, you have to face your problems head on. You can't kind of sneak your way around it and just right. somebody get them out of the way. So how did the Harkonnens last so long on Arrakis? I mean, I think it was what well, we looked and how much money they were pulling out of Arrakis. Right. Maybe and they think, could afford to be sneaky. I think, well, they, they were also wearing shields, but we know shields don't work there. Right. right. I think they were just pumping it and they have no regard for life or human life. So they were just pumping in people. This, right. Just your pure empire. Right. Looking things is, yeah, no complete degradation. Right. So then we come back to um, the Duke has this thing in his head about like on Caladan, they ruled by the sea and the air, but here we have to rule by desert. Okay, he says, This is your inheritance, Paul. 
What is to become of you if anything happens to me? There's that death thought again. You'll not just be a renegade house, but a gorilla house, runted. Run, sorry, runted. Running, <laughs> hunted. Paul groped for words and couldn't find anything to say. He'd never seen his father more despondent. That's just, yeah, we get really sad there. Right. So, and then you see the the flag, the Atreides flag. He points out the window. It's a green and black banner hanging limply. That honorable banner may come to mean many horrible, evil things. That's where we're going to put a plug in that one. Just uh, for those of you who have read the book, you know what I'm talking about. But for okay. Evan and other people who have no idea, we're going to plug in that one, what that flag means. Um, Paul swallowed in his dry throat, and the father's words carried futilely a sense of fatalism that left the boy with an empty feeling in his chest. It's like his dad is dead before he's even dead. Right. It's like, damn. And at that moment, the Duke grabs another anti-fatigue bill from his pocket, pops it in there. Power and fear, he said, the, stu- the tools of statecraft. I must order a new emphasis on guerrilla training for you. That film clip they called you Mahdi. Lizan Al-Gaib. As a last resort, you might capitalize on that. And Paul was like, ah, what are you talking about? And that's where the Duke's train, train of thought just goes off to the left. He said, what's keeping that ecologist? I told Cooper to have him here early. And thus ends chapter 14, a relatively short chapter where we see um, a lat, the, one of the last conversations we're going to see just between Paul and his dad. Yeah. And and you see like... I didn't need to know that, Caleb. Oh, snap, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I could have seen that coming because of just like the way that he was acting. Okay, good. <laughs> In this conversation versus like, Two chapters ago, the way that he was talking, you know, like he was this right, like what I like to call the righteous and rightful ruler, you know, like he had this like. He had aura, bravado. He had had this like royalty to him and it was like he was a solid man. And now he's kind of like he's moving away from Aragorn and he's kind of acting a little Denethor right now for the Lord of the Rings fans out there. Yeah, that was a good analogy. And that's creepy. It's creepy to watch him like degrade to that. Um, and, and I think the only person he can be truly vulnerable with at this point is Paul. He can't right. talk to Jessica anymore because right. he needs Jessica to think that she's the traitor or he thinks that she's the traitor. Right. So Paul is the only, only person he can talk to. Yeah. And it's just, and he wants to set his up his son best. Right. And a couple of chapters ago that, that quote was like, He's not an easily man. He's not easily hoodwinked. Right. So is he, is the son just an extension of the father? Like he's trying to set up Paul for this lane of like, yo, by the way, if things go awry and I'm gone, by the way, I tell your mother, I love her. I always trusted her. And, um, just use that Mahdi thing. Just go yeah. for it. Guerrilla right. tactics all the way. Take him down. Which I'm wondering, like, is it even just something that he needs to capitalize on? Is he that thing? You know, is he that thing? I don't know, folks. I have no idea where this is going at all. <laughs> is he the kids brought cataract? I don't know. We yeah. don't know. It's so tense. Gosh. Okay. There was one thing that we didn't talk about that I, w- I think I would like to talk about. 
Please, Evan, um, share with the class. Right before um, the Duke starts talking about the the banner, he says, to hold Arrakis, one is faced with decisions that may cost one his self-respect. What's that about? Like, that's, okay, I'm sure that's some foreshadowing that you don't want to you know, spoil anything, but that's a pretty I, loaded and heavy statement, you know? I think back to the the note that um, Lady Fenring said, which was like a, the proximity of a thing. Um, what is the quote? The proximity of a thing leads to like danger. Yeah. Like, and the thing is wealth and power. Arrakis is wealth and power. Yeah. That to keep like everybody will clamor to have this thing. The emperor, it will not easily give this up. The Harkonnens will not easily give this up. Yeah. So to keep it and like do it the right way, because the, the Duke is a good ruler, right? He wants to rule for the people, for the Fremen. He wants the Fremen to respect him, not, and they were hunted under the Harkonnens. Like he wants to do this for the betterment of the whole Imperium, but to do that, he had, may need to do some bad things. Right. And that sucks. That does suck. Because he's like left and right. Every single decision, he's trying to figure out the most honorable, righteous, legal way about going, like making each of those decisions, you know? Like he's trying to figure out the best way to do everything all the time. And still he's saying that like you're going to have to like lose some of your own respect. Like you're going to lose respect for yourself. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, in doing that, that's not going to be fun. And I'm, um, yeah. Next chapter, we meet the ecologist, which is very fun. I'm very excited about the next chapter. Yeah. You probably won't read it, Mr. Evan, until uh, minutes before we record. Right. So it will be juicy and spicy when we get there. Is it one of the long chapters that you were talking about? It's a, yeah, it's a long chapter. Okay. Okay. Cool. We got we got three long chapters in a row. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's gonna be intense. I love it. When for those of you who have read the book, you know exactly what I'm talking about and are you are pumped about this chapter because it is Oh man, it's like a thing. It's like it's a, a thing. It's a big moment. Oh, ah, well, until next week, guys, you can follow us here on Twitter at Reading Dune. You can email us any questions or comments or concerns. Maybe I'm pronouncing something wrong or you don't like the way you know. Never mind. You, everything Evan does is perfect. So there's nothing you not like about him. But you can email us at readingdune at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you got going on. Any questions, anything you want clarified, we can definitely clarify it or find answers for you. That, so that's what's going on. And uh, please stay spicy. Stay spicy, everyone. Peace. <laughs>